You are listening to the Fashion Toolbox podcast with Laura Fish, providing you with all the tools to succeed in this dog-eat-dog industry. Get ready to see a side of the industry that you have never seen before, with real-life insights into what fashion is really like. Join me as I take you on a journey throughout my career in the industry, with a host of special guests, learning secrets of the trade to help you to find your dream career and meet your maximum potential. Hi everyone and welcome back. On today's show it is my pleasure to introduce to you Emma Scott. Emma is a bespoke garment designer and pattern engineering consultant driven by a desire to improve garment fit. 30 years of bespoke garment design, master pattern making skills, made to measure manufacturing experience, anthropometric research and software development all give her a unique perspective on the workflows and processes required to automate virtual garment design and improve garment fit. Emma developed the theory behind the clone block, a tried and tested accurate method of producing a 2D representation of body shape, far surpassing traditional one-dimensional methods. She remains a lead developer of all fitting algorithms and co-developer on offshoot software solutions. She is actively engaged in the 3D body processing community, an active participant in the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Industry Connections 3D Body Processing Working Group, and has authored several papers on body shape analysis for improved garment fit and enhanced use of 3D technologies. Thank you, Emma, for joining me on the podcast today, and welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Laura. No problem. Could you tell us about your background in fashion, how you first got into the industry? Uh, well, that's a very long story, but I'll give you the short version. Uh, my background is is mainly bespoke. And uh, I became very, very early. The reason I was in fashion is it was just glaringly obvious how what we wear, our external the external look, the aesthetics, the impact that had on people's self-esteem, and on our own self-esteem, and then, of course, on how others others perceive us. I mean, you don't go for a job interview in your pajamas. People are going to judge you poorly. So that dynamic fascinated me, and, um, and uh, I saw women literally transform before my eyes. Um, and I'm thinking a lot now of... Um, you know, just people that had self-esteem issues with their bodies, we do uh, we do wardrobes for them. And that was very powerful. So I wanted to reach a larger audience. So that spurred me into made to measure. Uh, because of course, bespoke it's you you have to you have to charge a lot of money. It takes a long time. And that limits who can have it. And it just seemed to me that the people that could afford that could afford the shops and could afford the tailoring. And so it was like you know, the people that really need the bespoke can't afford it. And that dichotomy bothered me. So I went into made to measure. But, you know, made to measure is, of course, a step down from bespoke. If you want it to be a good business model, you just can't put the same time into it. And so this, of course, eventually led me into software writing and, and the CAD programs. And, you know, how can we make this quicker and better? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you mention about the confidence that it provides people because I think that a lot of us are almost drawn to that because we want to help people and to help yeah. people feel better. Yes, yeah. yeah, 
Exactly. I mean, how often do you hear, you know, I have, I have young nieces that are 14 and 16. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard this too. I don't know. There's just something wrong with my body. Like I just, I can't wear this brand of jeans and this is the brand of jeans that all my friends are wearing, or, you know, this is the new legging and, and it just doesn't work with my body. There's something wrong with me. Well, no, (laughs) no, you're not. You're 14. It's about as perfect as it's ever going to get, you know, that's just kind of heartbreaking, but, um, that's how, you know, that's how women, women in particular feel. Yeah, I, I think that's how we become to almost get focused on the fit because it's so disheartening to hear that, for, especially from young people, that things aren't fitting the way that they should and thinking that there's things wrong with them and yeah. that absolutely isn't. No, exactly. <laughs> So what piqued your interest in 3D fashion and how do you think it will benefit the industry? Well, okay. It's, it's, it, it will. Yeah. I could just go on and on about this forever, (laughs) but I I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about self-esteem right now. And so, you know, with regards to being able to see what something's going to look like on your body before you purchase it for online sales, that's, that's pretty powerful. Um, But, you know, if we want to get, move further into fashion and we want to talk about sustainability well sampling coming up with the design you you know that it takes a long time you you know there's been times we've done if it's a bespoke you know or a higher end like my background to bridal and evening wear you do seven iterations before you got that design right you know and you can work on half scales and you do all of these things that you can to save money but there's just no way around it the power of 3d to do sampling and uh, to take care of those iterations you know you're not using the physical materials is is tremendous but um you know and then it, it, it's just gonna move into so that people can actually design what they would like on a, on a computer, you know, imagine being able to go and to, because bridal and evening wear, a lot of it is quite simple styles, you know, and to be able to click on a computer and to test an array of bodices on your body and array of skirts. A lot of times when people go to get married, they've never had a formal gown in their life. The, the experience is kind of daunting for them, you know, and if you go bespoke, of course, you can afford to have toils made, moulages, and you can test them out. But once again, not everybody can afford that. So uh, just to have that ability in 3D, once again, you know, you're empowering somebody on a really important day in their life. It's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really, really exciting times ahead for design, fit and sustainability with terms of in terms of 3D fashion. And yeah. I personally, I've been practicing with Clothes 3D. Yes. It, and, you know, one of the beautiful things with Clothes is that it's, the price point makes it more acceptable, yeah. accessible. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely accessible for a lot more people and they have the, um, the free training as well on, on YouTube, which is fantastic so yeah. for, for students and um, anybody interested in 3d it's just an amazing platform yeah so you have a breadth of experience in pattern cutting and anthropometric research could you explain to listeners how the two work together and the benefit okay so when we think of when we think of fashion we really I, I think that that people going into fashion design, what you really think about is fashion, like the really cool stuff. And that's all great because, you know, I mean, couture is where it all trickles down from. There's another side of fashion and that's what we call functional, the, the functional fit and the functional garments. 
And, you know, that's really important too, because we can make beautiful things, but, you know, uh, then we have to go to the office and we have to be able to lift our arm and reach the book off the high shelf. And so we need to, we need to understand that better. But now that we're talking about 3D, it would be really nice. I mean, it would be an ideal design environment, wouldn't it? If we could just go and draw a pretty sketch, test it on a mannequin and move on. And I mean, that's what I mean, let's be honest, that's the icky part of fashion that none of us like. It's the rework and the rework. So understanding the pattern and the geometry of it is really important. And we can put that into the computer, then some of that work is taken away from us. Absolutely. I agree with that. Do you think that post-COVID, more businesses will start to take 3D seriously? Yeah. uh, So there's a lot of difficulty with that. Um, There's a lot of misunderstanding because there's a lot of marketing that says we're there. It's done. I mean, you've used Clo3D. You can see the power of it. Like it's tremendous as you're designing, you know, as you're making the pattern, you're sampling at the same time. I mean, that's yeah, it's tremendous. Translating that virtual to the physical, there's still, there's still problems. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, but we're getting there. We're getting closer. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I just can't wait to see how much it improves over the years because, like you say, it's it's nearly there. But that end part is just a bit that needs a little bit of finesse and polishing. And yeah. soon we might not need all those sam- samples, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And, and of, of course, just to address the question that you talked that I think I got sidetracked on, COVID has exacerbated all of this yes. because... Um, you know, as much as it's been um, uh, financial constraints on us as consumers, it's been just horrific for the apparel industry and the manufacturers and the brands and the retailers. And so if they're going to survive, they need to tighten their budgets up. And, you know, as far as as um, the costs of production, we've taken that below where it should be. There's just really no more savings to be had there. There's no more savings to be had with the materials because we need to start talking about sustainability, which is going to actually take material costs up. So the only other place we can save is in the sampling. So right now, COVID has really put emphasis on that. Yes, it's definitely speeded up that process. I mean, it, it was destined to happen eventually, but it's just put a whole load of pressure on that, definitely. So how important is fit in fashion and how do you think this is changing over the centuries? Well, fit is incredibly important and, um, you know, we, we, we see a beautiful design and, and, and we would like to have it and we try the size on and it doesn't fit us. But if that could be corrected for our body, you, you know, how, how would that look? And, you know, everybody has that thing in their closet that they put on, they just go, good you know I could just walk through fire with this on and if everybody could feel that way like if you just didn't have to you know worry is this strap going to fall off if my arm goes here why is that leg twisting on my blue jean on, on my body and why when I sit don't my jeans stay where I want them to and you know if people didn't have to think about those things it's not that distraction in their mind so I think fit is really really important and you know when I I briefly mentioned functional clothing I mean when you're this is a, a, a huge issue right now is women in in uniforms firefighters military police they have fit restrictions that you would not believe you know so yeah and, and that interferes with interferes with their job. I've done work with athletes talking about fit. And I, I know athletes who've had double mastectomies by choice 
because they just got sick and tired of trying to find a bra that didn't inhibit them in their sport, like triathlon. I mean, like, you know, come on, you've got to do better. You've just got to do better. Yes, we absolutely need to support those women working out in those industries. I totally agree. But what about gam and ease in sizing? And is there a simple formula that you can recommend to um, to those interested in pattern making and garments to follow? Well, okay, so that's the key. And I will tell, <laughs> I'll tell you the secret, the secret. And the secret is this. We have, we, we have the 2D pattern. So that's the dimensions of the pattern. And what we the industry has commonly done is garment fit equals body dimensions, which you take with your tape measure, plus ease. It's very simple. That's the simple formula. But there's something missing in that formula. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what my, my research has, has been about. What is, what is that missing formula in there? And um, so there's a tremendous amount of, of research going into that. When, when we're taught to draft in schools, we're taught to draft blocks that have a limited amount of ease in them. So what we need to do is we need to be drafting blocks specifically for the body, only for the body. Maybe it's nothing you would ever wear anywhere else. And then you add ease afterwards. The problem is, is our our theory, our pattern-making theory, the body-to-pattern theory, there's little holes missing in shaping because we have multiple non-developable areas on the body. You know, we talk about breasts, we talk about the bum, but, you know, we got shoulders. We've got, you know, we hunch a little bit. And so our back, like there's, there's just so much more than just the obvious breast and bums that are. And so, and what is that shaping? How do we quantify it properly? Yeah. So that, that theory is, is missing. And, uh, I think every university in the world right now is working on that. Um, I'm I'm part of some of those groups. So I think we'll get this figured out. Yeah, good. Hopefully, fingers crossed, because as you said, there just are so many different shapes and sizes out there. And it's not just about nobody's average. There's there's no such thing as average. And we really need to get that right and, and get some sort of better fit for people. Yeah, and if we can take the ease out of it, and first of all, just analyze what the pattern looks like just as the body, then we can start building better ease theory and, 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 and more importantly, ease distribution and, and, and better fitting, more functional. Why, why can't fashion be functional? You know, it should be. Mm-hmm. The opera singer should just sing. She should not have to worry if she's going to pop the corset, you know. <laughs> Definitely. So what benefits do you think that 3D fashion will have on sizing? Well, we're going to be able to, I'm a big proponent, as you can tell, for body shape inclusivity. But one of the things that we've never really been able to study that well in schools, it's just, just within the last 10 years we started to looking at it, is design for body shape. What is body shape? You know, we hear hourglass, we hear rectangle, we hear, but that's, you know, that's an aesthetic thing. To make that aesthetic look properly, we need to know what that, what is the geometry for an hourglass. And I'll give you a little Mm -hmm. secret. It's not the same for every hourglass. So there's a difference between aesthetic body shape and geometric body shape, the one that changes the fit. So those are the things that we we need to understand. So 3D can help us test better fitting patterns for different, why do two people with the same dimensions 
why do they have different fit requirements? So this whole concept of design for body shape will allow us to do it. And it's a, a fascinating experiment. I challenge you to do this because in Clo now, I do believe you can you can import avatars of different shapes and sizes. Yeah. So you, can. you know, do that and do and, and take a very simple design a jacket, you know, and end the jacket at the hip on one person. And then you'll be like, huh, okay. But on this height, maybe I want to edit at another, you know, and that's the simple one. And then add some weight to them and, and see, and it's, and that's designed for body shape. Now, if you had to do that in a physical environment, you know, there's a lot of time involved. You have to be making the patterns and you're printing the patterns, you're cutting them, you're sewing them, you know, so 3D is fabulous for, for testing design for body shape. Oh, yes, definitely. I agree with that. I did a little exercise where I made my own avatar of myself, entered all my measurements and made it. And it was just fascinating to see and actually see what you look like on the screen as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because then you can really design, you know, because we can all make beautiful sketches. Mm -hmm. and that's lovely. But how does that translate? And sometimes it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to, you know, because when you're using a seven, eight head figure for your sketching, and I don't know about you, but I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is definitely where you can make those little tweaks to make the garment actually look right on different shapes and sizes, I think. The 3D stuff yeah. are just going to be so good for that. Agreed. So how have you been developing 3D fashion to support sizing within your business at Fashion Should Empower? The geometry of the patterns. And uh, so so how to make these shapes. And and specifically, you know, we're going to move up. We're going to move away from 2D pattern making, and it's it's going to be in the in the in the 3D. The problem right now is this correlation between the virtual environment and the physical environment. What are the things in there that have gone wrong? So that's partly where my um, my work has been. And then, so we, to be honest, we got that solved. But then there was still something. What else is it? There's a lot of steps in this 3D apparel um, pipeline. And, and a lot of that has to do with, back to the anthropometry, is the avatars that are coming in. A lot of the avatars that we're using right now, even the ones that are coming from the mobile apps, they're not quite there. If you understand bespoke, there's slight differences. Um, and so what do, what do we do to create these avatars better? I mean, we know that body scanning is absolutely precisely correct manufacturing apparel has used body scanning down to the microns mm -hmm. so what you know what are the missing components that are in there so there's a lot of you know I, I kind of had to to step out even though my focus has always been on the geometry of the pattern and and, and how we build the theory and the rules so that we can give to computers because a lot of what you and I do is very heuristic we don't even know we're doing it you know so how to make those fundamental rules to tell the computer and then the other part was just to find out where are the other problems, you know, when it's coming in, when we post-process the, uh, the avatars, when we, um, when we measure the avatars, um, a lot of the mobile apps, what they're doing is reconstruction of avatars. And there's different ways that that happens, that some are more accurate than others. And so, you know, if you give me a body that's really accurate in the 3D and I draft a really accurate pattern for it, but that avatar doesn't actually reflect you, it's not going to translate to the physical world. So mm -hmm. yeah, just to find out where are those holes translating from virtual to physical. Yeah. I mean, the technology's there. We just have to, just a few little tweaks. Yeah. So what are virtual shaping methodologies? 
that has to do with this body to pattern theory. So pattern making design is really mostly art. It's 50% art and 50% um, the geometry of the pattern. But a lot of what we do is heuristic. You know, you've, yeah, I'm sure you've done this. You're fitting a design, you have the moulage, you're like, you know, I'm just gonna tweak right here. What have you done? And why have you done it? And are there other ways that you can do that, you know? Okay. But what do you feel is the future for made to measure and bespoke services? So this is interesting. I set into this business. I was in bespoke. I went to made to measure because I wanted to reach a larger audience. And then the ability of, of computing to be able to help me reach an even larger audience. I mean, that's pretty tantalizing. That's really cool. So everything that I did was to bring bespoke to it to, to the masses. What I found along the way this is a term, there is grounds for sizing systems. There's a tremendous similarity between all of us. And so once we achieve this level of bespoke, there's so much of it that we can apply to our sizing systems. You know, uh, just an example. So our, our standard sizing system for our, our favorite blue jean, you know, that's for a certain type of hourglass. Let's just say a very limited hourglass. But what if we had above that hourglass four other body shapes and below that four other body shapes and did a size chart for each of those? Well, those are the things that we can take from bespoke. So as much as all of my work was for bespoke, I've kind of come full circle and determined that there is a place for ready to wear, not just made to measure, but for ready to wear to really to fit better so that people actually don't need bespoke. And then what can happen is then in a computer environment, um, the consumer can engage with the computer and made to measure becomes about choosing a better tone for your skin with the color, choosing the cuff that looks a little nicer, the leg length, you know, all of like those little tweaks without really even changing the design as a whole, just tiny little features. So it, it's exciting. Yeah, it does sound really exciting. It'd be nice to just worry about those little minor aesthetics rather than the size all the time. Wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so what other sectors of the fashion industry do you feel will benefit from 3D software? Well, I think I predict a very tumultuous decade for fashion coming up. There's no way around it. It's 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 completely being revolutionized. Um, the only thing that's equivalent is when we switch to mass manufacturing. Um, and any massive change in a society is, is a painful process. There's going to be lost jobs, but then those jobs are going to be recouped in other areas. Every aspect, every single aspect of, uh, of a, yeah, it's going to be completely disrupted. Yeah, it's been turned on its head, hasn't it, really? And yeah. I, I mean, it, it has been coming for years, I, I think, uh, but we probably didn't expect it to have to happen so soon. Yeah. So the well, uh, the COVID has definitely pushed it along. Do you know, I, when I was in high school, which is 30 years ago now, I could buy a really nice pair of blue jeans for about 75 to $100 Canadian. And um, I could still buy a pair of blue jeans for that price. And uh, that doesn't speak very nicely for what's happening in fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, and the truth of it is the people that are manufacturing our goods. I heard an expression the other day, and I really need to find out who said this so that I quote them properly. But it was slavery with a stipend. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the dirty little truth of how we manufacture goods. And that has to stop. But stopping that is a painful process. And, you know, a lot of the calls that I was on, particularly after about the 90-day period into, in, in, into the global pandemic, were with manufacturers. Anyway, it's a difficult thing to talk about. But some, but some of these manufacturers had, over the last few years, put all of their money in because the brands and retailers were pushing them for more sustainability. So they were taking out massive loans. They were overextended to bring in sustainability. Then COVID comes along. Now these same brands and retailers were not accepting their goods. So, you know, these people that are already working on these really tight margins, paying their like literally slavery with a stipend, they have no money. So the disruption that's going to happen there that needs to happen there, COVID has pushed over the edge. But, you know, it's pretty hard to see men who've had these companies for their whole lives. And they're like, I just want to feed my employees. And they're banging on the doors and I can't do it. And, you know, so some of it's been hard to listen to. Yeah, this it, it really, really frustrates me. And I, I was only talking about it earlier that, you know, I think that we're all going to have to upskill, but the people that they can't upskill because the skill can't be replaced are those machinists. Uh, they are, and the pattern cutters, they are absolutely the talent of the business and are probably the worst paid. And that, yeah. it's just heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. Do you believe 3D software can help with a more sustainable model in fashion? I absolutely do. I absolutely do, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but with that, there is also going to be a downside. There's going, mm-hmm. like I say, there's this major disruption. There's going to be jobs lost. There's going to be jobs gained. And so we just, we need to be prepared for this massive change. You know, maybe that's one of the things that, that'll come out of this pandemic is I was seeing this 90 days in all of the things that people couldn't do 90 days. Oh, I can't do that. I can't. I mean, the world couldn't possibly stop. Really? We did. For mm-hmm. 90 days. We just did it. So, you know, it, it may be taught us that we can change more than we think we can. And yeah. Yeah. How important is it to ha- still have a knowledge of manual methods of pattern cutting and grading when using 2D and 3D digital technologies? In my opinion, and a lot of my colleagues will argue on this, I think it's eminently important. But I'm also the type of person that still. You know, I even though it wasn't taught in when my my kids went to school, I thought I believed that multiplication tables still needs to be taught. I believe that phonetics still need to be taught. I think these things are key to critical thinking. If you just let the calculator do everything for you, you know, there's there's elements of critical thinking that are gone. Um, you 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 spoke about ease, you know. Well, ease is very simple math. But if you don't understand the basics of pattern making, you can't do that. Right now, I I spoke of the body to pattern theory that is actually non-existent because we heuristically do that as designers. And now we're trying to build that into computers. So if you don't have the skills to understand when you you manipulate that dart, why exactly? I mean, we're we're taught how to, you know, how to, to, to manipulate it around an apex of something, but can you change that apex? Why do you change that apex? How does it change on different people? 
And what's happening to the grain line on different body shapes when we do that? These are the rules that we need to put into the computers now. So the basics of do we need to know that? Well, you can go and look at Clo and you can start to believe that you don't need to because you can just see everything there. But if we want to translate virtual fit to physical in something that we like with our eye, yeah, we really need to. So those pattern making skills as a teaching tool, uh, you know, for machine learning, they're going to be critical in the next, particularly next decade. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I still stand by that the manual methods are absolutely imperative to understanding, even working on the 3D systems. I think you you have to have a knowledge of how things work and, and how where you can move things, I think. Like yeah. removing the darts, unless you actually physically do it, yeah. even seeing it there, I, I don't think it actually translates no. 100%. And, you know, and then relating that to... Um, to fabric as well. And, uh, you know, I always get students to work with, you know, a, a, a stripe or a plaid, a really true one that's been manufactured properly. And, you know, let's put this yoke on straight grain. Let's do this yoke just straight, straight, straight from the body block. Now let's put that yoke on, on bias. Well, what happens? Well, you think it's just going to stay the same. Well, no, you've added an element of stretch. Now you've got negative ease that you need to account for. Now the shape has completely changed. Okay, so you can reinforce that with interfacing, but does that change your design? So there's a lot of geometry and a lot of math, and, and you, you know it's an opportunity to take design to the whole next level. But we really need to understand the rules now. So before you could almost get away with, like when I went through school, you could get away with a more artistic approach to design because you were just going to make a moulage. It was a given. But we want to get away from that now. We want to we want to quantify it. Yeah. And speaking of um, fabrics and understanding the properties and how changing things, changing it on the bias or whatever can, can change, totally change a garment, how important is it, do you think, for people to understand that early on before they start pattern containing, is it still important with digital technologies? Yes, and it will be it it will be you know more more important than ever because there's the if you take a singular design and you make it in five different fabrics, you're changing everything. In mm -hmm. fact, the same design might require, most likely will require different adjustments to the pattern. Say, and you know, um, I've done through my career, a fair amount of forensic pattern work. So when something has really gone through in manufacturing and they want somebody to blame, I reverse engineer to see what's happened. And a really, really big one in the industry, well, there's two, denim and bras, because they, they fit quite closely. But there's an assumption, unfortunately, very peculiar one, not with top-end manufacturers, but um, a blue jean pattern. I've got a great design. I want to do it in five fabrications, exact same pattern wrong if that if, depending on the stretch of that pattern you're going to have different amounts of negative ease and that really really changes the pattern so if you've used the same pattern on different fabrications and you know it's a really basic thing but people people forget that you know if you're using a denim that has no stretch and a denim that has has stretch the pattern's really different oh and yeah particularly in the bias you know so yeah, yeah. Definitely. So what one key piece of advice would you give to someone who is interested in entering the fashion industry? Uh, as much as it's hard to, to delegate time, set 
time, whether it's daily or whether it's once a week or whatever, to stay current. Because right now, you know, industry is changing quarterly. The technology is changing that quick. And you have, you've just got to stay on top of it. And, and it's, you know, we're in a really, really disruptive phase and uh, you just don't know what's coming next. And, and the other thing is to really, really check your sources. There's a lot of, yeah, there's just a, a lot of, um, I'm not going to I don't want to choose my words really carefully here. The, the word fit, for example, in marketing is really overused and it's used quite incorrectly. You know, you will say, oh, I, you can, with my new software, I'm not going to pick on anyone. My new software, you can, you know, try clothes on your body and see how they fit. No, what the marketing should say is you can see what that design might look like on you. You can't judge fit. If it's not a twin of your body, if it's, or if it's not a clone of your body, if it's just a twin, like virtual mirrors and things like this. So just to really watch the spin on the new marketing that's coming out, because we can do everything with technology. We can't do it right now. A lot of the new technologies that are coming right out are still in the learning phase, and there's a component of machine learning with them, and they're in their learning phase, so they're not perfect. You know, um, iPhone apps, photogametry apps are, are, are one of them. They're going to be phenomenal in a few more years. They're still in their infancy. You know, they're not perfect. So, so check the sources and really, really stay informed. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. And what you're saying about always you know learning and, and staying current uh, yeah that is just completely it's my motto I've totally committed myself to lifelong learning I think that's how we all should be in the fashion industry <laughs> because things are forever changing I, yeah. I mean over the past few years it, it's just phenomenal how much things have changed it really is so I completely agree yeah, and your podcast is a perfect opportunity for you to do that and then share that knowledge with everybody. So good on you, Laura. Yeah, thank you. So that's all of the questions, Emma. Well, it's lovely to chat with you. Thank you. Yes, and Joe, thank you again for taking part. I've found it absolutely fascinating to discuss this subject with you and I think that everybody else will too. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fashion Toolbox podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that you never miss out on the future episodes.